0: Welcome to the Birmingham Litfest Presents podcast series. I'm Kit Duval, and I've worked with the festival director, Chantel Edwards, as guest curator of this year's podcast series. Each Thursday, across the next few months, we'll be releasing new episodes of the podcast, including wonderful discussions about writing, poetry, big ideas, and social issues. In this week's episode, we welcome Candice Brathwaite, author of the best selling book, I Am Not Your Baby Mother and she's in conversation with fellow best-selling author Dorothy Coombson. Candice's book, Part Memoir and Part Social Commentary, offers a brilliantly observed guide to life as a black mother in the UK and an urgent call to recognise the diversity of motherhood. Join them as they discuss redefining motherhood, the silencing of black women's pain, and the experience of publishing a book in the midst of a global pandemic and the resurgence of Black Lives Matter protests across the world.
1: Hello, my name is Dorota Coombson, (laughs) and today I am talking to the wonderful Candice Brathwaite. I had to say that properly, and I actually listened to her book rather than reading it, because I wanted to get a sense of who Candice is, and so I know how to say her name properly. Um, So, yeah. (laughs) Candice Brathwaite is something of a powerhouse in the social media world and in actually the real world. Um, She has helped to transform the lives of millions. And I do say millions because she has touched so many people, the lives of millions of mothers everywhere by showing them that mothers don't all look one way. And they don't all have to have shiny hair and a certain amount of money in the bank to be good mothers who love and care about their children and she's a top tier influencer. And it was from her experiences on the differing ways of being a mother that led her to found Make Motherhood Diverse, an online initiative that Candice describes as aiming to encourage a more accurately representative and diverse depiction of motherhood in the media. Basically to show us all that all mothers don't look the same. They don't have the same experiences and we are all different, but all good parents. Candice has two children, Esme Olivia and Richard Jr., known as RJ, and she lives with her husband, Bode, in Milton Keynes. Her book, I Am Not Your Baby Mother, published earlier this year, really lifted the lid on what it means to be a Black mother in our modern world, and she describes her experiences and the experience of so many other Black women in all its dangerous, humorous, scandalous, humbling, empowering, and beautiful glory. Candice is talking to me today about her book, Life, and of course, ice cream. And I say ice cream because my first question to you, Candice, is going to be, what's your favourite flavour of ice cream?
2: Um cookie dough. Cookie dough. Specific yeah, specifically a bit of Ben and Jerry's Ben and Jerry's. Yeah. I don't, don't, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't want to advertise for them but <laughs> ben, ben and Jerry's, Jerry's
1: cookie dough.
2: I know. Yeah, it's up there.
1: It is up there. <laughs> see I can't eat that unfortunately because I'm gluten free. So I'm gutted when I see other oh. people eating eating those things. It's <laughs> just oh okay. Well now I know that. See, I've I've started we've started on a good footing you've got a good flavor of ice cream up there so um mm. my second important question to you was going to be what's your favorite flavor of baby food oh baby
2: food
1: <laughs> oh I bet no one's, i'm, I'm that like before. i'm a
2: bit stuck yeah, never <laughs> oh i'm like you know anything apple-y if that makes sense Yeah. Like, and this is the thing so you know um I, I, uh, my background is Caribbean and yeah. my husband's background is Nigerian yeah. so even like the idea of baby food that comes in jars that's so foreign to us I know you just like yeah you just mash down what <laughs> you're eating and give it to
1: the baby yeah. <laughs> yes I know so I, I wanted to double check Yeah, I wanted to double check on you I was checking <laughs> up on you in a different way see <laughs> I should, yeah, I should follow that exactly. up with asking you, so is it plantain or jollof, which is the fla- which is the favourite out of those
2: two? Oh, uh, plantain. Okay. I, I, it's not even up for a com- competition with me, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
1: Um, all right, so I'm going to be serious now. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um. So how has your lockdown been? Because I know it's we're coming out of it, apparently. Well, I'm mm. not. But I'm still distancing and stuff. But how has it been for you? Uh, do you know
2: what? Lockdown was was really difficult in 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 a lot of ways uh you've got i've got two underage kids at home it's hard to explain especially to a two-year-old why he can't go to his child minder. and you know you're spending all of this extra time with a family you really do love but you need some space and then it was there was another layer of difficulty um my first book was published during lockdown which i was really really nervous about because I'm a debut author anyway I'm gonna be nervous I don't know how this works and you could have millions of followers on social media if you want to be taken seriously as a writer there I had an idea in my head about getting to meet my readers about being on a physical book tour and to see dates just get erased from my diary I was like oh okay I was even saying to the publishing house like I think we should delay this and luckily they they you know they had faith that it would be okay but it's been really really hard yeah. because you would know better than me i writing a book is one thing promoting it is a different beast it is. and yeah the the work of promotion the interviews the talking i was like i i wasn't ready for it i don't feel and being
1: at home and only doing these things in a digital manner took a toll for sure. Yes, but you, you like to meet people. I mean, I had a book out in lockdown as well and um, bookshops are closed and there's all the events. We were planning a, a tour as well um, and so we had to cancel all that because of the lockdown and stuff. But your book's done fantastically well. It's been amazing and I've seen it everywhere and it deserves to do amazingly because it is a fantastic book. Oh, thank you. Uh, you know, I'm
2: just taking it all in my stride because l- me and I—I I, I guess as the writer—and you would—you've got way more experience than me. But I, I, I—it was new to me to feel so um, nervous yeah. and so disconnected, and really understand that okay, I've written this book, but it doesn't actually belong to me. So, like, I started to really get that. Say the first week it was out. And you're just hearing all of these opinions and all of this talk and all of these reviews. And I suddenly understood that I'm like a surrogate mother to this message that's now just gone out into the world. And that was really nerve wracking. And I'm always quick to remind people that I, of course, I think it's a good book, but there is a lot to be said that the book gained traction really quickly because of the murder of George Floyd. Yeah. And I don't think we can overlook that moment, you know. Your book came out
1: with the mm. resurgence of Black Lives Matter in the, in the wake of the murder of George Floyd. And people started, started to talk again about Breonna Taylor and mm. um, and things like that. How did that feel? Because your book is so relevant. It's so of the moment. It's actually quite spooky. It's mm. almost like... Yeah. <laughs> yes, I was going to say it's almost like had second sight, but you obviously didn't because that stuff's never gone away. It's been we have been talking about it for years, but now yeah. everyone else is talking about it. So how did that feel to find that everyone was, everyone else was talking about the stuff that you've been talking about for a long time and the stuff you wrote about?
2: Really, um, I, I'm going to take a leap of faith and be confident for a moment and say, really, I felt really confident. That's the word because I was like, actually, this isn't new to me. This isn't new to the people that I would class as brothers and sisters who have always been here doing this work in one way or another. This is not a new conversation. So I knew in that moment, um, being called on to the news or people using the book as a tool for anti-racism, which is not what I was thinking when I sat down to write it, that bit didn't make me nervous because I was like, if there is one place where I am qualified, it is in the Black British experience. It's in understanding how racism has affected my life and my grandparents' lives and so on. That bit I was fine with. What made me nervous and I wasn't so confident in was seeing my book being pulled into these ginormous lists of tools. Now, you know, you have to read Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Race. You have to read Natives by Akala and you've got to read I'm Not Your Baby Mother. That bit took my breath away because at that point the book had been out seven days. I was like, hold on, hold on, guys, hold on a second. These books have had years to marinate. They've been the kind of books that you have on your bookshelf for a while, for at least three, four, some five years. And it was like watching a newborn being forced to go to uni. I was like, this book is really new. Why are you guys putting a cap and gown on it? Like, I don't understand. But then when I started hearing the feedback and re-reading my writing from a different perspective, especially a chapter like Young, Gifted and Stabbed, I was like oh okay, I do get it and it was it was me having a moment of being like yeah were you having a vision when you wrote this because you could not predict, I don't want to use the term perfect but that's the only word I can find it was just such perfect timing. Yeah
1: it's, and it's also really yeah. sad timing, that's, that's, that was the thing I mean how did mm. it, I know what you've just said but how did it take the whole experience of that time take its toll on you emotionally because for me I spent a lot of time really hurt I suppose um with people's responses to it because and that's why I ended up writing my letter open letter to the publishing industry because we've been fighting this fight and talking about this stuff and doing what we can all this all these years and suddenly everyone was like oh yeah we've been doing this We we understand this we've been here and I was like no you haven't and it really you know my husband and I were both really like it's exhausting and tiring and upsetting and and I got really angry sometimes and I just felt bereft a lot of the time and it did help talking to other people but how did you get Uh, through it?
2: Yeah I was really tired and I think I got to the two-week mark and I I was like actually no more tv interviews none of that nonsense because that's how it feels we have a moment like this twice a year once a year and then they call on the same black speakers the same black voices to come back and almost like argue racism with white people on national tv and i was like yeah that's no good for my soul either i'm really about activism from a joyful perspective So your media tells me that all black men are in jail and that all black women are baby mothers who are on like the nineteenth floor with a lift that doesn't work and they they can't pick the dad out in a lineup. So I'm purposely going to come on this internet every day and stuff a black nuclear family down your throat just so I can be like the antidote to this constant false stereotype of black people being a certain way, and that's what got me through and. When I saw my social media platform start to grow, I turned on something which meant that new people couldn't comment, they couldn't speak. And I was like, listen, you guys, you new people, you're going to have to acclimatise for about a month. I don't want to hear from you because you've probably come to follow me thinking that I'm going to be your your one way out of your racist thinking or, you know, I'm going to help you solve your white privilege. And it's not that. This space is actually first and foremost for Black people who want to see themselves depicted in a positive light. Um, But the time was so heavy. I would say, you know, borderline depressing, actually. It was a really difficult time because also we cannot overlook what seeing someone murdered being pushed to your phone does for your psyche if you're a Black person. Some of these videos of George Floyd didn't even have like a trigger layer on them it was just there it was
1: just there and
2: I yeah and I feel like we are way more respectful
1: of white bodies and trauma absolutely they would not show half the stuff they showed and in its so in its glory as it were that the glory isn't the right word and you know it was just there I I could I didn't actually watch the whole thing but I started I saw it come up on my feed a few times and I was like this is just horrific I can't watch this I mean I cover my eyes when anything comes on, on casualty. So can you imagine trying to watch <laughs> in real life something as awful as that? Ooh, it's really, um, yeah. really, yeah, you're, you're right. That's the thing It's people are, they're much more respectful of white, white pain and, Ooh. you know, and it doesn't seem, it doesn't seem to be as fair as it were. You know, we we kind of like throwing, this stuff is thrown at us and we're having to look at it and then comment on it and then move on from it yeah and 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 act unaffected you know or and allow people to tell know, us I, that it's um that it's nothing to do with race it's just <laughs> it's <laughs> what's what
2: you know uh, yeah he had a he had a a 20 bill that was counterfeit okay <sighs> but i've seen images of that white kid who shot up that church a couple years ago they escorted him out of that church. Not even handcuffed.
1: He got takeaway as well. No, let's not forget.
2: I know he got a Mackey D's, I think. Yeah. Like, oh, it does. It really. Oh, again, I can just feel myself
1: getting. I know. I know. I, it. I think. We should, <laughs> let's just move away from that camp. <laughs> let's move away. Let's go back to ice Scream. But um, why did you? Why did you decide to write the book? Because I mean, the book it goes mm. it goes to lots of different places and in 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 a very specific and because I listened to the audiobook I kind of felt yeah. like i got to know you I mean I don't know you I'm not a crazy from the internet who <laughs> thinks they're your best friend <laughs> but I did feel like I got to to know you a bit and and how you speak and how you enunciate things and so why did you yeah. decide to bring what was a lot on Instagram and on your blog into mm. um into a book
2: do you know what i'm I'm not gonna sit here and lie that decision was made for me before the the proposal for this book, there were five others that got turned down, um, and so I just felt like that the the common the common themes in in being turned down were stuff like, oh, we really love your writing, but we think you should go away and grow your social media profile first. I kept hitting that, and then a week later, they'd email my management and be like, oh, but if she ever would she ever consider writing about motherhood? And I was in a really difficult position. Although people saw me as a mummy blogger, I speak really frankly when I say I find most mummy blogger books to be abhorrent and not filled with much. And in a month's time, you're going to use it as like a coffee coaster. You're not going to keep that in your library forever. So for years, I was like running away from motherhood. I was like, I'll write about anything but that because I don't respect that genre when it comes to, to writing and reading. I don't. And I remember writing this proposal in like 45 minutes, I think the title I threw in there in that 45 minutes as well. And I said to my management, don't ever talk to me about this proposal again, because I no longer care. And two weeks later, I got a call from Quercus. They were like, oh, this is really good. And we want mm. it now. And I was like, and I thought, you know, I thought being like so off the cuff with it, we call people's bluff. So I pushed a little further. I was like, yeah, but I bet you're going to call me into your office and you want to dilute what I want to say. And I bet you find the title too abrasive. And they were like, no, we want it all. And I was like, okay, fine. Then we go. And then I found through writing it, I, you know, I found that a lot of me not wanting to write this book was ego based I have to admit that there was an idea in my head about what it meant to be a respected writer mm. and I I was I was I've been proved very wrong in writing this book because it's what people have wanted for a very long time but I tried to run away from it and now reading it back I'm like oh you could not have begun your writing career with anything else that is very clear.
1: It's funny. What's what in your head? What's a respected writer? Oh, like
2: no. oh, just okay. So this is really funny. It's so funny how they would tell me to grow my social media profiles. Yeah. In my head, a respected writer's not on social media because they're busy writing. Hey, and going out into the world. Hey, you know, not, not, not on the... social. <laughs> but you know what I mean. Like, I know it's what you not. Mean. I'm
1: joking yeah, with you. it's not. I'm messing with you. <laughs> it's
2: not be-all and end-all and it's I just a... found some of these houses to be obsessed with like followers yeah. and engagement mm-hmm. and I'm like okay so are you a publishing house or are you a C because the lines have become so blurred and I'm yeah. like you know there are wicked authors with 100 followers on Instagram and yeah. I'm like so why does it matter so in my mind a respected author was not an influencer or a blogger it was someone who has always enjoyed reading and could string a sentence or two together because that's another thing i'm not again i can't lie lots of these bloggers have ghostwriters lots of them are only offered a deal because they have a million followers it's not because they can write you know and so i found it for a long time i found the process of trying to become published really heartbreaking and, like, I just, I realised a lot of things during that period. I, I really learnt how publishing, first and foremost, is a business. And more often than not, many of these houses are willing to put numbers before actual talent. And,
1: and that's really scary, you know? In the book, you're very open about mm. your feelings. And as, you know, you're a lot more open than most Black people are, about, particularly about personal stuff and, and mm. mental health and um, the things that go wrong. So has being that open helped you, empowered you, do you think, or held you back or harmed you in any way?
2: Uh, I think a bit of both. I think off the top, I will say, I think aside from mental health, I think, what and, and cancer, I think one of the biggest killers in the black community is secrecy. And I know so yeah. many black women specifically that will just take, the craziest things to the grave or just like the maddest level of abuse and you know they'll live till they're 90 and it's not until they die that certain things are coming out or we we start to understand them as 3D humans because we we hear the truth about how they were treated in life so I would say that I'm uh, a unicorn in my family for sure I think I'm the baby that came out with a glitch And there are so many people (laughs) in my family who are like, wow, why doesn't this one just ever shut up? Like I have family members who no matter this book's success, they have gone and told everyone that I've brought maximum shame to the family. They're like, oh my God, do not read this book. She's embarrassed us so greatly. How dare she put our, it's my business, but my business is their business apparently. How dare she put our business in the streets like she's the scum of the earth hand on heart that has been the reaction from the bulk of my family so i would say behind closed doors um it's not worked in my favor but publicly it's a sword that i will always fall on because this is why we have eight ten fifteen sixteen year old black girls not saying when their uncle is sexually abusing them not talking about yeah. when you know they're older, when a man is hitting them, not talking about feeling less than for things because of colorism and skin tone. It's because yeah. of this, this inbred silencing we seem to have within the black community, which from an empathetic standpoint, I get because we've always had to struggle. And so I think it's easier to pretend that we don't have issues in our own community because other communities do that really well on our behalf. But all I'm thinking about are the young girls who are being abused or don't like the way their life is turning out because they feel like they can't be honest. And so and I also remember I've got a six year old girl watching my every move. And the reason why I know what I'm doing is working. When her Nigerian grandfather came to stay with us, he had dinner and then he called her to remove his plate. And she turned to him and she said, Granddad, I'm not doing that because there's nothing wrong with your legs.
1: And I swear- <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm laughing because you know what? My family are West African, my goodness. Mate, my goodness. honestly,
2: you felt the earth shape. Like, I felt like planet Mars just spin on its axis. <laughs> i <laughs> like, you know, he just then went into Yoruba about disrespect and oh my God, what's got into kids these days and then um, Esme's mm. dad came down and, like, and backed it for her and that was important also, he was like, dad, yeah. it's a different day and it's not that she's not respectful, it's just that we train, especially our girl child, to have a voice. And have an opinion and what made it equally as interesting is a week later i had just eaten and she came to me with no hesitation and she said oh mum should i take your plate to the sink so it wasn't about respect it was about you're asking me to do something that i don't feel like doing and i feel like in the black community another thing that has us in a chokehold is respectability politics it's like oh i should just do what this adult's asking because they're an adult no, sometimes the, the adult is asking you to do something dangerous, and so I feel yeah. like me being so open, even though it's been heartbreaking to literally lose family over work like this, I'm I've 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 gained a different kind of family in the women that message me and email me, literally saying like you 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 made me leave an abusive relationship or finally stand up to my toxic family like that's a big deal
1: yeah and that's what i was going to ask you because i know on the on the flip side i've had over the years i've had so many emails from women who've said that your book has changed my life or it has helped me and i i realized that i'm not alone and that you know black girls can feel like this and black girls can be the hero or the love interest you know we don't have to be look a certain way so i was going to say you must have had so much of that because your book is so detailed and um It goes into so many different places (laughs) and so many different, I mean, you don't have to be a mother to, to sit, to understand or to, to experience some of the stuff that you talk about um, in it. So you must've had lots of contact from, from other people, you know, who've made up for it. I, I know family is, is everything, but. When you do do lose them in those circumstances, you must have other people who've stepped into that breach. Oh, completely. And you know, my my granddad, who I love dearly,
2: and he raised me. He has this saying where he he says, "I will love you without hiccup," and he means to say like, mm. "I'm going to love you regardless of the worst thing you think you've ever done." And I find it really shocking that there are strangers that love me without hiccup. There are strangers that mm. email me and are like. Watson all we really appreciate you and the work you do and i was watching this recent documentary oprah did and she was talking about you know how disconnected she feels from family but she then said for 25 years the oprah show has been my family that audience and i, I really felt that in my chest i was like yeah my readers are really now standing in for actual family they are filling that gap and they're reminding me that they're also reminding me and I think it's because I'm in therapy that I'm just trying to see this with a softer gaze, that actually there is so much that maybe certain friends and family are not ready to deal with that that's why that relationship can't go on. It's not necessarily a battle. Perhaps in my writing, I just hold up a mirror and people don't like the reflection. They're like, yeah, I'm not ready to deal with that. So you're now like the annoyance in my life
1: and that's cool yeah, you know you're... I I have to make peace with that side of things that and that's that's an important thing I think you know what's it did it feel therapeutic writing a book or did it just feel like you know you're dredging up all the things that have happened to you <sighs> to expose it so a bit of both I
2: so and trigger warning for anyone listening there is a chapter where I discuss sexual assault and I don't just want to dive into that mm-hmm. but um that 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 specific couple of paragraphs were submitted after I'd submitted the finished book, because as I was writing it, I you know, there was a part of me that was like, yeah, but you're not telling the whole story. And you know what, holding this bit back, um, if you put it in there, what it could do for others. But I just wasn't willing to go there because with a paid therapist, I haven't been there yet. And I was like, so, girl, you're really going to just tell these bits of yourself to strangers and you've not worked on some things in your private space. And so it did feel really cathartic because there's so much in that book that maybe some of my nearest and dearest didn't know about me or didn't know about my situation. But I'm I've, I'm becoming because I'm not there yet, but I'm becoming one of these writers who's willing to leave it all on the table. Because especially with non-fiction, I can feel when a writer's not done that. I can feel in a, in a story, I'm like, something's missing here. And I didn't ever want to be a fraud. And that feels like a wrong thing to say, because it's my business. I shouldn't be perceived as a fraud for not sharing something. But I just think um sexual assault specifically is such a problem in my community that if I didn't put something like that in there, it... it it wouldn't be the same book if I didn't speak so openly about abortion. It wouldn't be the same book because these are the things that are specifically thrown on young black girls as like uh, cloaks of shame.
1: Absolutely, and you know, and that's and that's one of the things that we need to kind of address. And I do when I write a book, I do try and be as honest and authentic and tell people's stories. And it was it was very refreshing to read a. I know you say it's not a biography; it's a memoir <laughs> more than anything. That is. Um, that deals with it, and it's very open about it. And, you know, and the way you discuss the sexual assault and your abortion and stuff, and you're very open, it's like, if you can't deal with it, then you need to (laughs) put this down. I know, you know, what made me laugh about your book a lot is the stuff that um, I could just see myself, hear myself saying things like that, and I could just see my husband's face thinking, oh, God, oh, that woman. the things that uh, it really made me laugh um i'll tell you one thing that really made me laugh was when you were talking about the travel system <laughs> and i knew which what you were t- what you were talking about before you named it i knew what you were talking about <laughs> i knew it i was laughing to myself about that as well um there's so many bits in it that are really funny and then there's bits of it that are really um heartrending and you know that can bring tear to, to i'm not just talking about the things like the um the chapter on on stabbings Mm. and stuff like that i mean just the little things like the schooling chapter or Mm. why you decided to set up motherhood diverse Mm. those things they they kind of are heartrending as well because you kind of see where they came from and how alone you felt out there and how alone other mothers must have felt before you started it before you 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 came and decided to push forward and keep doing Mm. it um and it. And and that's kind of very empowering. Like I say, you don't have to be a mother to read this to to get something mm. from it. I mean, I love your analogies, like the the pyramid mm. and the Kentucky Fried Chicken um <laughs> things. Uh, they they're very poignant and very very insightful. I don't. Want, I, I wanted to try and avoid talking too much about what's in the book, so I want other people to go and read it and experience it like I did. But I want to keep going. But you remember that bit. That really made me laugh at that bit. I've been yeah. there. Um, but the thing, I mean, one of the things that was very important about your book was bringing up the the fact that black women, black mothers mm. are treated so badly in the healthcare mm. system. We know we can pretend that they're not. We can pretend that, you know, they go into it and it's equal and it is, Yeah, is, we're all treated the same. But we're, we're so not, we're absolutely not. And your story, pre- and post-birth, was very affecting, I, I found. Um, how did it feel writing that down?
2: That, honestly, that one was the easiest chapter because by the time I handed that manuscript in, I have been on so many podcasts, I'd, you know, spoken to so many news outlets about that. I just feel like if, if it was in the reverse and this were white women, the NHS would have been called to public task by now and there would have been a massive mm. inquiry and a shake-up. And I feel like because it's primarily black bodies being discarded or black women dying, this is why it's taken just so long to find a way to stop this. And I mean, I I also started a petition to get the government to discuss this and they had the cheek to respond in their petition with data about the fact, you know, that black babies are more likely to die than any other baby in their first 20 days. I thought, wow, this is your response. It's so, just the entitlement, the way the black life really doesn't matter in a situation Mm. where the structure is based in white supremacy. I was like, this is so mind blowing to me. And the fact it has now had enough signatures, but that um, petition was stagnant for
1: months, for months. I remember, I I remember showing it on my Facebook um, um, Facebook page. And I had several people sign it, but I had several people going, Oh, it's because you know sometimes they don't know how to speak up. Huh? I was like, don't don't talk nonsense to me. Don't don't talk nonsense to me because I mean, I, I I I try to avoid arguing with people in public. It's one of my things. I don't. I try not to do. So I was just like, you know what? I'm gonna have to block you because I can't. Be do you know? Do you know why that, Showing myself. Do you know why
2: that doesn't make sense? It's because on another day, black women are loud and angry. Oh yeah.
1: So it
2: makes sense. sense. So when we're in when we're in the most pain physically possible, what we just form mute. It's just and it's the fact that people even want to argue that data or find any other reason for it than to be racism and racial bias. No, it's not that it's Mm. gestational diabetes. No, it's not that they eat too much dumplings. No, it's not that it's it's like, come on, stop you know and when i had esme i was the healthiest i'd ever been so for me Mm. to fall so ill and and really genuinely come that close to dying i think yeah this could have ended so differently for me and it's not until that data was available that then thousands of other black women come out the woodworks and they're like well i didn't die but they've left my child paralyzed from the neck down well i didn't die but i was given a cut from my front to my back with no anesthetic and i'm just like are we in cavewoman times the th- you know well exactly. the stories you hear they just They're really distressing. So, but it was important that that chapter was in there just to remind people what we're dealing with. You know, you can tell me that knife crime is a black issue when it's black on black crime. You could tell me that I'm lying about the story about my kid, but are you really going to argue with data that the NHS themselves have provided? That was the point of that.
1: I know it's 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 heartbreaking that we have to constantly argue to be seen, to be you know to be even noticed, let alone taken seriously um so what sort of advice would you give to someone who wants to do what you mm. do because you know what you do is quite unique at mm. the moment i i can't think of anyone else who does all the different things that you do
2: you know uh, it's sad but you've got to go into this career which has so many different layers to it but you've got to go in it prepared for people to want to mess you up at every step of the way and that's such an unfortunate thing to lead with but um i came into it just really like a young bushy-tailed kid like i want to be friends with everyone and if i meet this person i'm going to tell them what a fan i am of their work and you know and then uh time and time again people would be mean to me time and time again i'd get trolled and i'd literally physically cry in my bed and say to Bode, like but i don't mean anyone bad like i always go out with the best intentions and then him and my friends would be like yeah but in a lot of ways people see you as a threat and unlike me the me that could barely afford at the time to get the bus to wherever I've been or the tube to see this person or go to this event I'm the threat like it just felt so silly so I would tell people prepare in in every area for people to see your light before you do and to want to out it and so that way when people do try and trip you up You know sometimes it's not the actual falling that hurt me it was the fact that i didn't see that someone was going to do that i'm like i don't mind falling i don't mind um shame whatever that means or being embarrassed in public what undoes me is when that has been brought on by someone that i considered a friend or someone i trusted and that's a hard that's finding people you trust in any industry, but in an industry that's so public
1: is really difficult. I, I absolutely agree. You know, I'm sorry to jump in, but you know, it's funny because my husband said almost exactly the same thing to me um, recently. Mm. I mean, I've been doing this job for a long time, but I discovered the the resurgence of Black Lives Matters brought all sorts of people out the woodwork. Mm. Um, and a lot of them and discovered, you know, a lot of people who, because like I I was a bit like you in the, that like, I, I try to help everybody out mm. when I can, you know, authors want a quote or they want people to read their work i try the best i can to help and i did discover that people over the years haven't even picked up my book because it was written by a black person wow and people this is people you respect and i was like wow so basically all this time it's not because you didn't like my work it's because you didn't even bother mm. to pick it up and i you know like you said i was really like really hurt and and like you say being tripped up and i felt really silly that i hadn't realize this mm. sooner but my husband said like similar to your husband you don't realize that people might see you as a threat yeah, but, yeah. Um... When,
2: when you're just so focused on doing the best you can do for yourself and others i'm not looking for potholes yeah. or for people to be like the tasmanian devil and be a few miles ahead making those holes i'm just like oh yeah. i'm trying my best i'm being a good person but some people don't see it like that and it's been a hot I, you know, I'll be very black and say, it. that has been the wickedest lesson of my life. I've just been like, <laughs> I have been spun out by the levels that people will go to, especially when uh-huh. they see what they perceive to be a successful black woman. Oh no. Yeah. Oh, how dare she? Yeah. How dare she? You know, be- being a bit more lighthearted. Um, and I know this is so cliche, but just remember, no one can be you. I think in my, the early mm. days of especially social media, I was like looking at what other people were posting or saying and working really hard to replicate that. And my life didn't start to open up until I owned all of me, all of it. I think especially dark-skinned black women, we think we can only own sections of ourselves at a time. Right, I'm mum here, I'm this here, I'm that here. Oh, you know, my skin's this complexion, so maybe if I wear my hair like this, I I don't follow any of those rules. I show up in every room with very dark skin and a close shaved head and a gap in my teeth. And I skin them the same. I'm just like, and everyone's like, wow, like, how are you so confident when on paper the world is saying it's women like you we really shouldn't be checking for? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know, but clearly that energy has helped propel my career forward. So I would say to anyone, just remember to be yourself, because what the last year or so has shown me, especially on social media, is that those who are playing nasty games behind the scenes, that they do have their moment where the spotlight comes on them, and you don't ever want to be
1: that person. So if you're always being yourself, you've got nothing to worry about. I followed you for quite a while, but um some of the stuff you posted that has been obviously really painful and. The response has been in the main really supportive people have really supported you and i think that's because of the authentic authenticity in everything you do yeah completely like
2: when i genuinely when i feel like my back's up against the wall and i and i have to post something and i that feels really silly because i'm like i'm not beyonce so the fact that i even have to make a statement of sorts it does remind me how then how people must see me as a threat because i'm like also why would you make a scene of any little thing that i do i don't know why i'm that important but i have to lead by example and i think yeah if i'm gonna be like love yourself own everything including your flaws like i have to lead with that too one of the hardest things to do but also once it's done you just breathe such a sigh of relief because no one is is not going to make a mistake no one's going to live a perfect life like we are these nuanced beings, but I know how um, higher the stakes are when you're a black woman. I know that. I know that. I know that we feel we can't get away with what someone else would get away with. Or you may feel like your career can't come back from a certain thing, but you have to trust the people that owes them to engage with your work.
1: Yeah. And and also, you have to trust yourself to mm. to do the right thing. Yes. So are you going to write another book?
2: Oh, that. Do you know what? that because I, uh, I was going to be like all secretive that conversation is happening right now. I didn't think I mm-hmm. would want to. Um, but I'm not your baby mother has shown me that I've got so much more to say that couldn't fit in that book or was left on the cutting room floor. And I'm not precious about the editing process. I'm like, oh, we need to get the word count down. Well, whack that bit out, whack that bit out. But what's been whacked out is really good and still really helpful to someone else. So I think there might be another two or three books in me yet, but again, I'm always gonna, because my career has come in like from almost backwards. So I've grown a social media following first and then brought out books. I I don't know, I think I'm gonna feel like I'm playing pretend for a bit, because I still do. Like when people solely yeah, say, absolutely. oh, the writer, Candice Brathwaite, I do scrub my face a bit and I'm like, oh, really? I've only had one book out. Don't push it. You know, anyone can write one book. I think the... the I, I, mean, I can't, know. Really <laughs> can't, you know, they can't. <laughs> Somebody or maybe
1: they really
2: can
1: I, I think, and
2: this is the thing. So you, again, black women, we our own worst enemy sometimes because the bar in my head is so high. I'm like, okay, maybe you can say that and I'll feel confident in that on the fifth book. But right now I'm still like, oh, it could have been just a fluke. I, I don't know if people will read anything else.
1: Let's see. Take it from somebody who's done it 16 times. To do one book and to be have it be so successful mm. and so loved um, is a real achievement. So please don't ever take anything away from it. Yeah. You're right. I, I I'm I'm working on that too. And you're right. I'm trying to... When people
2: praise it, I'm just trying to feel good with that. I'm like, thank you. Um, I'll hold on yes. to that. Because this is the, it's a, yes, it's a it's rhythm. True. I love this bit now, but if, you know, I know that when I'm writing my second, I'll doubt myself again. And I'll have days when I don't want to sit at my computer because I don't know what I'm doing. So I'll hold on to the good times for now, for sure.
1: Absolutely. And just keep keep going. Yeah. So how is it working with your husband now?
2: Oh, you know, I'm gonna, I'm probably going to annoy people, but it's bloody brilliant. And I wish he'd <laughs> I wish he'd quit years ago because the ability to just get more done and for life to feel smoother now that we work in in the same house. Yesterday he just looked at me and he was like, You know we would never be able to do the stuff you've done in the last three weeks if I was still going to a nine to five. And I was like, dude, you're telling me. I've been trying to tell you this for a couple of years. Um <laughs> like but also from like a Ancestral spiritual perspective. I'm really excited and encouraged because I just want to build something that, you know, the grandkids or great grandkids I'll never meet are like, I'm able to do this because grandma and grandpa started this business. I'm really like, mm. and, it, and it's, it's a, it's a black couple doing something, which I think we yeah. don't get to see enough. That's not to say that yes, we don't cross words. But um, for the most part, it's been the best decision we've made this year,
1: for sure. So what what's next then, apart from possibly a new oh. book? Are you going to do a fashion line or something? <laughs> oh my gosh, you're being too spooky now. Do you know what? Because
2: someone approached me and they were like, oh, we'd love to work with Candice. And I thought, no, it's time to shoot my shot. And I... I told my management, could you ask them if I could have like my own lipstick range or a dress line or something. So hopefully, and you know why I'm gonna say that publicly because I feel like uh, white women who would do what I do would have asked for that ages ago or they would have done it ages yeah, ago. And so I sometimes I do think, oh, you being too cocky or you're asking for too much. And then I do my white girl litmus test. And I'm like, no, you're not. You're not asking for nearly enough. Like I would love to do something like that. but um, may, might be a black thing, more of a moral thing. I'm not in the business of selling people rubbish, so it would have to be done really yeah. well. But fingers crossed.
1: Absolutely, yeah. That's yeah. Tell me your th- name on has got to be yeah. done somewhere. Well.
2: But fingers crossed, that's the next thing, hopefully. <laughs>
1: okay, I'm going to keep my fingers well crossed for you. <laughs> and don't you dare quit or stop. You know, well, it's really important what you're doing, really important, really important to show a black Nuclear family, and just show that you know a black girl, dark skinned black girl, can be you know confident and can talk about fashion Ooh. and to- and can you know talk about all sorts of things, not just the, the sad stuff or the hurtful stuff or anything, yeah. you know you keep going, please keep I will. going. I you sound like we like a support I group, you. aren't we? And I uh, and I think we are. I think there's nothing wrong with setting up a support group in this sort of way. But really, I'm. I'm you know congratulations really well done you've done so amazingly i'm i'm really really i feel like i'm saying, so, i'm i'm so proud of you but i can't really because i'm not you uh, like your mum or anything but i really feel like i'm proud no, of thank all, you all thank done. you so
2: much like i said it's been hard because i've not even heard that from family you know it's been the, the great opposite but I'm, i'm gonna keep trucking along I I think I'll do all right. I'm going to keep going, I promise.
1: Well, thank you so much. If you want to pick up I Am Not Your Baby Mother, it's through all the usual outlets, and it's a fantastic read. I think everyone should read it. I do actually believe that. I'm not just saying that because I love (laughs) candies. I actually think it's a really, really insightful read and a really insightful look at what it means to be a black woman mm. in the modern world so thank you so much Candice. it's been lovely talking to you thank
2: you thank you for having me thank you to everyone listening it's been awesome
0: thank you for listening to this week's episode of the birmingham lit fest presents podcast if you enjoyed this episode we'd love for you to tell us about it leave us a review and a rating find us on instagram twitter and facebook at Beham lit fest. And take a look at the rest of this year's digital programme on our website at www.birminghamliteraturefestival.org. You can download our latest podcast episodes every Thursday from all the places you would normally get your podcasts. Until then, happy reading. The Birmingham Lit Fest Presents podcast is curated by Chantal Edwards and produced by 11C and Birmingham Podcast Studios for Writing West Midlands.